Please be seated. I was very young. Now, I don't want you wasting time doing the math when I tell the story. But I was very young, and I, but I still remember food rationing after the Second World War. I grew up in Ireland. On this particular day, I was given a boiled egg. It's important to know it was the last egg of the week. Six per week per family. I took off the top of the boiled egg, and there were two yolks, a double-yoked egg. I'd never seen anything so exciting in my life. So I picked up the egg on the plate, in the cup, ran into the kitchen. On the floor was an outrageous mess. There lay the shell, the white, and the yolk. What had been one whole was now three parts. Today marks an end and a beginning in our liturgical year. It begins in Advent every year, and for the first half from Advent until today, we narrate the story of the major events in Jesus' life, his birth, his the Epiphany, and so on through Holy Week, Easter, the Resurrection, the Ascension, and on we go. That part, half of the year ended last week with Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. This week, no, from next week on rather, we will follow the life of Jesus, his teachings, his healings, and so on, until Advent begins again. Trinity Sunday is a bridge between these two parts. It's not tied to any event in Jesus' life, but is the summation of all of God's activity and revelation. It's a unique Christian doctrine. If you have ever met somebody who says, I understand the Trinity, no, they don't. The theological doctrine of the Trinity is both clear and utterly elusive. While the Trinity can challenge the intellect, it's more easily grasped through experience. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three distinct persons. The word Trinity never appears in the Bible, as you probably know, but the three persons do. From the first verse, Genesis 1, 1, to the very last chapter in Revelation. Let's look at the example of Jesus' baptism. Jesus stands in the river Jordan and here's the voice, now Jesus in the Jordan, here's the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Then the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove, please note form, not dive-bombed by a bird, 
and it is clearly evident that all three are present. In attempting to explain the Trinity, there are multiple analogies, but no prizes to guess what my favorite is. It's the story of St. Patrick, and he is reputed, the shamrock is reputed to have saved St. Patrick's life as he tried to explain the Trinity to the pagan high king of Tara, high king of Ireland, failure to do so would have resulted in his death. He would have been executed. So Patrick looked down and picked up the tiny shamrock. Now the Canadian shamrock is nothing to do with the Irish shamrock. The Irish shamrock is minute but it still demonstrates the same thing. Three leaves on one stem. Apparently it was sufficient for the High King because Patrick lived. The members of the Trinity have distinct characters. God the Father is the first person of the Trinity. He is the high and lofty one. He is holy, just, and fair. He is light, and in him there is no darkness. He is Abba Father, close and intimate. He is the creator. He is pure love, the nature of that love being beyond our human comprehension. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is God's only son, coexisting with the Father from the beginning. He is the Word, and thus was involved in creation as God the Father spoke creation into being. He is the face of God. He said to Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He set aside his heavenly glory to come to us in human form. He taught us, he showed us the ways of God, he healed us, but chiefly he paid the price for our sin on the cross. He conquered death by rising from the grave. This means believers can be personally and directly connected to God the Father through Jesus. Jesus now lives in heaven in his resurrected body to intercede for us, and he will come again to claim all who believe. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it, has hovered over the face of the waters during creation. He is the Lord and giver of life. He is the power of God. He transforms those who come to know him. He gives us boldness and courage to face our indifferent, if not hostile, world. Without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. With him, we can reach the ends of the earth. Just look at the transformation we heard of last week on the day of Pentecost with those who were assembled in the upper room. They were transformed 
In one day, they made 3,000 converts. A church without the Holy Spirit is a dead church. Now, we're going to look at the geography of a church to see how the, whole, the Trinity is displayed here. The pulpit and the lectern, we're, by the way, we're looking at the original, not as how we use it today. The pulpit and the lectern are parallel. The word which is declared from both is of vital importance. It is the foundation of our faith and worship. We read from the whole Bible. Every week we have a passage from the Old Testament, from the Psalms, from the Epistles, and finally, we stand to hear the Gospel. Now this is unusual in this day and age. Many churches now read only from the New Testament. The sermon develops the word, we hope, connecting it to the lives of those who are present. But the sermon is only a part of the whole, no more or less than that. In Trinitarian terms, the word is Jesus. Now the chancel, which is behind me and hard for you to see, this section here, represents our musical praise of God. Here the choir used to sit and the organ led the worship and praise of God. This is the Holy Spirit who should suffuse all of our worship, but is often found very specifically in music. Then we reach the sanctuary, right up at the top before we reformed the way we work here is the sanctuary with the communion rail. This parallels the Holy of Holies in Solomon's temple. It represents the Father. The Eucharist is the crescendo of our worship. It is the sacrament given to us by Jesus. In the Eucharist, we remember what Jesus did for us through his death and resurrection how he reconciled us to the Father. And here we are fed. This is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The food is much more than the items of bread and wine. It is utterly a mystery. And I'm not going to attempt to explain it. Now let's look at a personal understanding of the Trinity. I remember a conversation with a couple of friends on this topic. After a fair bit of discussion, it became clear that one favored the Father and the other favored the Holy Spirit. The one who favored the Father was exceedingly reverent in her practices, bowing the knee every time the name of Jesus was mentioned, regularly using the sign of the cross, and other such things. The second had to be held back to stop her dancing in the nave. When she was filled with the Holy Spirit, 
and her hands were up in praise constantly. Now, in no way did either neglect the other members of the Trinity, but they had their natural favorite. One person I knew in one of the parishes I worked in was so fearful of the Holy Spirit that he felt if he had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he might run down the corridors of the federal government calling out in tongues and ultimately being fired. So he refused to have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, who are you more likely to approach? Which member of the Trinity is your go-to person? Who do you look to first for courage, comfort, guidance, and healing? Over the next few days, take some time to consider how you experience the members of the Trinity in your life. When you say, oh Lord, who are you talking to? All three or one? But, to steal a phrase from an old song, you can't have one without the other. Now, one recommendation for those of you of a studious nature, read the Athanasian Creed. As I said, nobody understands the Trinity, but St. Athanasius came pretty close. It's quite a read. It's not something you want to read last thing before you fall asleep. But it is important and it's found online and at the back of any Book of Common Prayer. His description of the Holy Trinity and its interconnectedness is as good as it gets. I give the last word to a Celtic poet named David Adam. Some of you may know him. Around thee twine the three, the one, the Trinity. The Father bind his love, the, ton, the Son tie his salvation, the Spirit wrap his power, make you a new creation. Around thee twine the three, the encircling of the Trinity. Amen. <clears throat>